Welcome to the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast with Dr. Fuck and the Ayatollah of Alcohola, Ian Wadley, better known as Wadzilla. So enjoy another awesome, incredible episode of the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. Bam, 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 diddly dee. Smack him a gob. It is me, Dr. Fucker. You could call me the Brown Sabbath or the the beige cowboy or the chocolate astronaut. And with me is... Yeah, the Ayatollah of Alcohola, Ian Wadley, Wadzilla. But some people call me Maurice. Yeah, I know I That's do. That's true. I do <laughs> when I fiddle with my anus. So how my are gonna. My stepdad's going to be mad. You know, he's like, don't bring me into this because he's Maurice. <laughs> it's, it's so funny. His, his, his name is Maurice Leroy. And my mother used to work at a women's prison. And, and the inmates asked her, they go, Miss Diane, you married to a black man? <laughs> uh, and he's the whitest guy you could ever meet. Good yeah, guy. I mean, look at, look, at the, uh, look at the BG that died. He was pretty white. <laughs> yeah. His name was Maurice, right? Am I right? Yeah, but he he had the most soul. Yeah, Maurice Gibb. Yeah, he yeah, was- yeah, yeah. Rob, you hear Robin Gibb, you know that's a honky, and he was the whitest fucking BG. Um, <laughs> did I did I take you to Maurice Maurice Gibb Park when you were at my place? No, you did not. I, I did not know there was one. Yeah, I should have. It's it's literally like three blocks to where, where I used to live. Oh man, yeah, that's awesome. I didn't think of that. But anyway, all the Bee Gees live near my house where I used to live. That I told you on the city truck, I cut off Barry Gibb. I never told you that? Uh-uh. Yeah, dude. Uh, um, uh, he lived on Sunset Island, too. And I was going down the street to you know, and do a turnaround. And when I did the turnaround, he was at the stop sign, and he had the right of way. And, and he, <laughs> I almost hit him. <laughs> But he was cool, man. I mean, he didn't get mad at me or nothing. <laughs> they go, ah, ah, ah. Yeah. fuck you, Ralph, fuck you, Ralph. And you know, uh, Maurice Gibb, he died at the hospital that I was at with my pancreas. I'm poor, you know, he lived in the oh. beach. Robin lived like not even like half a mile away from his brother up on that same street. So uh, yeah, all three Dang. of them lived, lived close by. Yeah, well, Robin's dead too now, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah Barry's Robin died. Robin died yeah. cancer. But Maurice, yeah. Maurice died of like malpractice and shit. I forgot what it was he went in there for. It was like some fucking thing that you don't die from. And yeah. he went in there and and fucking he died. And I, I could be wrong, but I'm almost positive they sued and made a lot of money because Maurice was uh, yeah like unjustifiably killed. Well, he was killed, you know. Period. Yeah. Ma- that, Maurice, Maurice gone. Robin gone. Andy gone. Uh, Barry's the first. only one that, yeah, yeah. Barry's the only one who's actually staying alive. Yeah, there you go. And you know, I mean, I don't mean to be morbid and shit, but you know, Robin died of cancer. Maurice died of malpractice. Dude, Andy died of cocaine, bro. That, yeah, which makes that, that boy yeah. knew how to die. Yeah, automatically he's the coolest gift. Wasn't <laughs> even in the BGs, but he's the coolest gift. Exactly. You know. I mean, he was so cool. He even fucking, he even outlived Reeve Garrett. That guy's still alive. And yeah. you know, they were hanging doing the same drugs. You know, even Kevin DeBro's like, I'm going out like Andy Gibb, goddammit. Yeah. Coke me to death. <laughs> God. 
how I want to go. Yeah, well, you'll see. And you know, history will show Ralph and Ian both went on massive amounts of cocaine. <laughs> I I know now that I've I've had my nose surgery and everything. It's like holy shit! I could breathe through both nostrils. I was like, God, I wonder what it would be like to do coke. But then I'm like, uh, I, I'm I'm at like coke will kill you age. You know, uh, you that's scary. Me. I know, I know. Well, that and I'm I'm cheap. Don't, don't get me wrong. If it was here right now, it'd be gone. But, <laughs> but no, I, you know, I I think about that. You know, all these guys who were you know in much better shape than me. You know start doing blow in their, you know, or keep doing blow in their 50s. Like, like Kevin DeBro was in good shape. Yeah, but Kevin, Kevin DeBro overdid it. You know? Yeah. You have to know, you have to pace yourself now when you're that old. You know, I have to know yeah. when to stop. I said, who paces themselves with coke? I know I didn't. There's no comment from the peanut gallery over here. <laughs> Okie dokie. I need to make it, I need to make another trip. Come see you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you Speaking can help, of which, you can help me pace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll help you pace because there'll be none left. Yeah, exactly. Uh, especially now that I can use both sides of my nose. Mm. Uh, but man, I was just thinking the other day, I was like, you know what we're due for? It's another poison episode. <laughs> yeah, we got to do the unskinny bops the next one, right? Yeah, because because we do something special when we talk about poison. Yeah. <laughs> and oh, that's and right. I'm ready. Oh, I gotta score some acid. Oops. Oopsie doodle. Did I say that out loud? Oh, but I, I was talking about that the other day. How much fun those fucking uh, those poison episodes were. Like, oh, we got to do it again. Yeah, because you know what? You know what? The next one's gonna be the the good one because after that they got all serious. There's no comedy on those later albums, man. I'm sure. Well, I'm skinny bop alone. I'm sure it's going to be funny as fuck. Oh my God. Something to believe in. Ride the wind. Oh God. Comedy gold. Ride, uh, ride the wind. Yeah. Not ride the wind. Not the cool Judas Priest one. Um, but uh, what would be interesting though is after the fact, I mean, we got to keep going, you know, first and foremost, because I don't want to stop tripping. But um, uh, I've never heard Native Tongue in its entirety you know i've never heard any of the other i've never heard it at all well i I should say that i dan that's it yeah that's all i know off of it and 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 that alone is comedy gold you know gospel fucking poison yeah but there's no mama (laughs) no mama and papa your mama don't dance and she won't let me go to the show stuff you know we don't know there might be we don't know because we haven't heard it i mean there could be untapped fucking countless jokes on that record i'm sure there is you, you might know? be right but I, I i don't know i just have the feeling they were like all right we got to get away from this stuff now that we got rid of the retard all right well here's some sad news uh, just found out big john hart or is it hardy i don't know how you pronounce that but uh former bodyguard for kiss and iron maiden and billy idol and prince uh he died Oh wow! I like that dude, tall dude. Uh, is yeah, yeah. Thing, you know, yeah, Big John. Yeah, he died Friday in Hollywood, Florida. Wow, he was a tall dude. Yeah, you know what? He did look sickly though, and I'm talking about three years ago. He looked pretty. Oh sick. yeah, no. He's been sick for a long time. I, I know there's been some GoFundMe. Uh, in fact, there, there's one now to cover 
uh, funeral costs, but I know there was one to cover medical costs that, that's been up for years now. I believe Decibel Geek had them on. But I, I mean, think back to all those classic pictures you saw of Kiss in the 70s with Big John. And, uh, you know, very, very sad. Everybody who met him said he was super nice. Uh, you know, after he left Kiss, when, when Kiss really went on the skids and kind of let all the classic people go, including uh, Bill of Coin and shit like that, he went and joined Iron Maiden and spent most of the 80s with Maiden. And, uh, and uh, Nico had some really nice things to say about him. Uh, very sad. No, I, I guess it's it's very sad when you really really think about it, you analyze this guy. He's responsible for beating a lot of Kiss Tard's asses and Maiden Tard's asses. That, yeah, that is commendable. Yeah, I, I know. Uh, but the nice thing though is Gene Simmons uh, reached out, and he is going to rent a kiss casket for uh for the funeral but then then he wants it back you know before the burial yeah well yeah he opened a gofundme for that one too come on <laughs> yeah. come on pay it on he gets to stay in it <laughs> uh but uh but sad sad to hear that he, yeah. he was 70 years old and like i said everybody who met him had nothing but nice things to say about him yeah i got a picture with the dude man he was nice he was a nice guy rest in peace that's sad to hear Here's a funny story. Crocus's Mark Starachi says he wants to bury the hatchet with D. Snyder. Uh, says he doesn't want to go to the grave with this battle. And it's a funny story. People who know the history of this. Uh, apparently what happened was D.'s wife, who he's been with since before Twisted even made it big. Uh, she did all the costumes for Twisted Sister. And then she branched out and tried to do costumes for other bands and one of those bands was crocus and crocus hated what she did for them and refused to pay her and all that shit so it started a feud you know between these two bands that started back i think around 83 84 and d still pissed about that shit um so i, I think it's cool starachi's reaching out and uh i would like to see these guys bear the hatchet Cause I dig me some fucking crocus and I love me some twisted sisters. So, uh, wouldn't that be great if, if, if these old hags in their seventies could hash this shit out before they die? You know, you know what I find bizarre is that they rejected these wife's costume and then the blitz, what they were wearing in midnight maniac. That was any better. Come on. Oh, yeah. That shit was ridiculous. And look, these Snyder is in my top three favorite frontmen of all time. It's D, Dave, and Phil Anselmo. Those are my top three. I've never seen Bon Scott live. I would change it if I ever saw Bon Scott live. But um, D's been kind of a dick lately, man. Like, he's just been, and it's not the politics thing. He just gets pissed off. Like, he's like Sebastian Bach now. You know, Sebastian Bach gets pissed off at any little thing. And D does right. too. And I can't see D forgive him. You know? D's just kind of lunky. He's getting, he's getting. A lot of these fucking people that I idolize are getting just dopey as fuck in their old age, man. Well, <laughs> maybe Mark will be like, hey, we accept my apology. And if he says no, he goes, we accept these nuts. <laughs> you know, that'd be yeah, hot. Yeah, that would be uh, cool. That'd be I'd the ultimate blabbermouth headline. 
<laughs> I'd love, I'd love to see that cameo video. Hell yeah. <laughs> okay. Here's something I, I, I just had to check out, and I, I really, really tried to do this. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, not. I, 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 yeah, exactly. I tried to be non-biased. I tried to be uh, not, not a jump. Objectable. I, I don't know. Anyway, I tried to do it with fucking open ears and give it a fucking chance. But Sammy Hagar resumed his uh, Las Vegas residency. And I, I just had to check it out because I was like, you know, all these people like, oh, Dave can't sing no more, which, okay, okay, all right. But they're like, you know, Sammy still got it. I was like, okay, all right, let, let, let me hear it. Let me hear what this guy's doing that everybody is so like, oh, he's, he's still got it. Holy fuck, was it bad? Was it bad? I, and I listened to three different songs to try to see if it was just the song. He was talking his way through this shit. You know, his belly's hitting the fucking mic stand. I can say that because I'm a big guy. You know, I, I, I can call other people fat. You can't, Ralph, because you're skinny. But, um. I'm not skinny. I don't no. know, man. To me, you talking about Sammy Hager just talking his way through songs? Sounds like an improvement to me. Yeah, but I mean, I, I, I get it. But but all his fans are like, oh, he's still got the pipes. He can, you know, you listen to fucking Eddie Trunk. Oh, my God, Sammy hasn't missed a beat. Look, last, the last episode, we proved the point. Anybody that likes Sammy Hagar has cerebral palsy. That's true. That's true. It's the cause. It's the it, cause it, of cerebral palsy. This, this podcast is educational. Anyway, if you go to one of these Las Vegas residency shows, uh, I hope you get shot like all those country fucking fans who went to that shit. You know? That, 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 that's oh, hey, just me. Whoa, god damn. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that shit? Remember that country oh, music yeah, festival? Yeah. 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 I, I, my, my son... Uh, I, I'm going out to Seattle in October to babysit the grandchildren uh, while my, my son and his wife go on a vacation. And originally, he wanted to go to Vegas to some metal festival. I don't know if it's that Psycho Vegas or whatever. Yeah, yeah Psycho Vegas. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm like, hey, fucking be careful. You know, they'll shoot you in fucking Vegas. Mm. You know. But, uh, all right, back to Richie Faulkner again. Uh he says he believes he could have pulled it off. Uh, the the, the four-man lineup of uh, Judas Priest. Uh, I tell you what, <laughs> I said a lot of good things about about Richie Faulkner, but uh, no. No, I'm, I'm sorry. To properly pull off Judas Priest, you need two guitars. That, that was uh, some stupid shit to say. Okay. What do you think, Ralph? Well, he's on heavy medication now after his heart attack, so of course he's talking. Yeah, it's the drugs talking. Yeah, but no, thank God he came to his senses, and we get to see Scab Priest a little longer. Oh fuck yeah! And, and with Andy Sneap, I, I mean, I, I tell you that that show we saw was fucking amazing. Oh yeah. And oh my god, and those two together pulled it off. Yeah, do I wish KK was there? Yeah, you bet your ass. But you know what? Sneep and Faulkner got that shit on lockdown. And uh, they they do just fine. Just fine. Yep. All right. Uh, let's see. What else we got coming up here? Oh. Oh. Oh, my God. 
this is sad and refreshing at the same time. Uh, for a lot of those, you know, who are like Ralph and myself, you know, we go to Blabbermouth and, and read all the clickbait headlines. But I am so relieved and so disturbed at the same time that there's actually a Ted Nugent story that involves music and, and, you know, not his politics and his hunting and shit like that. Have you heard the new Ted Nugent song, American Campfire? No, I heard the other one, Come and Get It, and it was kind of weak. Okay. All right. Uh, for all your listeners out there, we are going to pause this. Ralph, th- this is impetitive, because, especially because I need to take a piss anyway. Right, I'll go listen to it. It's, it's a short song. Go on Blabbermouth. It's real quick, quick. Listen to Ted Nugent's new single, American Campfire, and we will reconvene. All right. All right. I'm going to go piss. All right. You there? Yes. <laughs> so what do you think of it, Ian? Holy shit. Uh, it makes me laugh and it makes me cry at the same time. Because I don't, I don't give a fuck what Ted Nugent says, what his politics are, all this shit. I don't care about all that because Ted Nugent in the 60s and 70s was amazing. I still listen to it. Doesn't bother me. I don't feel weird that he's a fucking psycho and a child molester and all that shit. Those songs resonate with me. That guitar playing is amazing. Uh... You know, now he's just that old drunk racist uncle that shows up at Thanksgiving. Uh, but man, to hear him sink this low is really sad. But it is nice in a way to, you know, to have a story that's involving Ted Nugent music, you know, instead of all the other bullshit. Wow. Wow. That shit wouldn't even make the Gene Simmons box set. That was just, there, there's not one good thing you can say about it. What did you, how, how do you feel about American Campfire, though? Oh, man, you're going to quit this show now. <laughs> what? I loved it. I was like, this shit's catchy, and it wasn't political, and it rocked, man. Good solo, quick, to the point, and believe Oh, my God. Oh, man, dude. Oh, my God. Hey, I'm not being, that come and get it was terrible. And I haven't heard, I haven't liked anything he's done since uh, Braden, to tell you the truth. So, yeah, I liked it. I thought it was catchy. It was jamming. It wasn't him throwing his politics down your throat. And the killer solo just ripped, man. And it, and it's catchy, man. Everybody loved the American Fanfire. I loved it, dude. Sorry. I quit. I quit. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. Holy shit. Okay. I love all now the I, wagon. Don't 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 get I, Oh, you beat me too. I was gonna say. Now I know why you're going to see Hario Speedwagon Sticks and Loverboy. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! I wow! I, I I'm gobsmacked. Yeah, I'm gobsmacked. I'm holy you're, shit. You're gobsmacked. <laughs> yeah, holy shit. I dug it, man. I dug it. It was cool. Okay. I All doubt right, the there's... rest of the album is going to be that good. But that was a good cut. Oh, oh, I hope it is. I hope it's better. God damn, I hope it's better. I feel bad for Ted Nugent. That's... You should feel bad for me for liking it. 
I, I do. I, dude, I would rather hear fucking stand in Hampton on repeat than that shit. Wow. Oh my I god. I think I think I think uh, TJ like infected you with some palsy. <laughs> oh no, you're gonna get palsy for liking that shit. Yeah, you're gonna feel a little shaky tonight. Holy shit. Oh, oh my god. Yeah, probably, probably I'm fucked. But I liked it. I dug the song. Not bad. Oh my god. Okay. Well, Ian's dead. Not me. Ian McDonald from Foreigner has died. Foreigner I mean, uh, was such a faceless band. Lou Graham and what's his face? Mick Jones. I don't know anybody. Yeah. Else. Right. Well, uh, you know, when they started out, they were a band. And after, I believe it was Head Games, I believe, is when it really became like the, uh, and that was the last one, I believe, to, to fix to feature Ian McDonald, then it really became the Mick Jones, Lou Graham band. Even though uh, the bass player drummer would, would remain intact uh, through the end of the 80s. But as far as like creative control and songwriting control, um, yeah, he's dead. Yeah, so. I, I mean, I, I bought the first Foreigner album when it, when it was new. And because I love that song, yeah. Star Rider. That song still rules. <laughs> and uh, Star Rider, Star Rider, now <laughs> whatever that shit rules. I I never knew that song, and a couple of people have like, oh, you don't know Star Rider? I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? And sometimes classical rock radio is like. You know, certain areas play some songs and certain areas don't because I know I've talked to other people who grew up in Chicago and there's songs that were classic rock staples. And, you know, you talk to people outside of Chicago like, I don't know this song. I'm like, really? Well, Star, Never Rider, heard... Star Rider was on the radio back then. You know, I think... Yeah. 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 No, never, never heard it. But a lot of people <coughs> bring up Star Rider. But Foreigner is you know at least through foreigner four is a guilty pleasure for me uh you know don't love it but i like it. i saw the foreigner four tour was that still the original lineup um well it was without ian mcdonald and one other member that w was on the first three yeah that was the show that uh Randy Rhodes died the day before. I, I bought tickets to see Ozzy opening for Foreigner, UFO, and Pat Travers were also on the bill. And the day before Randy was killed, but you know, I had tickets, I had to go, you know. And so, and that show was over at 6 p.m. I shit you not. Wow. Wasn't that good? Yeah, it was, and not one mention of Randy the whole day. You know, UFO was pretty cool though. They were, they were all right. But and Pat Travers too. But for, I mean, Foreigner wasn't bad either. But was it UFO? Was it UFO with, with Shanker or with no, uh, no with Chapman? Yeah, Shanker was out by eighty. I think. Yeah, that's so, true. Yeah, I saw him with Chapman, and uh, I saw UFO like three, four times with Chapman. They were for cheap trip, but yeah, good. It, it was just a um, a bad vibe because of Randy's death, you know. So, well, yeah, I did see. That's the only time I ever saw Foreign. I never saw this, you know, this new incarnation. But yeah, I've seen Hurricane. You know, I know how good. This oh, is. oh, you did? Yeah, Hurricane. I've seen like three times. You oh, know, wow! Two of those times, 
was opening for Striper, and I saw him headline at Summers on the Beach. No shit. Yeah, I, liked, I liked her. I liked I liked Hurricane. You know. Yeah, they they, they weren't bad. They yeah, weren't bad. Damn. So yeah, I uh, I discovered. I always thought it was I always thought it was funny how Sarzo's brother was the guitar player. Yeah. And Carlos and who, was the guitar uh, bass player. Was the bass player? Yeah, yeah. But uh, I, I, I dug it. I mean, it was like D-level cock rock, but, well, I should say D-level, C-level, but uh, yeah, it was good. Nah, man, they had some kick-ass songs, though. Messing with a Hurricane. Uh, they had some killer, killer songs. I have that, that EP's very expensive, that Enigma one. I said Enigma. Yeah. I said Enigma, Ian. I didn't say that. Eni- yeah, Eni- Enigma, please. <laughs> I still have that uh, on CD and vinyl. Both of them are very expensive. I mean, last I checked. I don't know. Yeah, this this Enigma crazy right here. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, I will check that out. I have them, but I haven't listened. Actually, the only Hurricane songs I know were like the singles, but I, I love them. Uh, you know, I, I know you hate it because it's got the Nana, but uh, I'm over you. I really dug. Yeah. And, that's, uh, and I, I had, I had Bobby Brown in the video before Cherry Pie. Oh, she was. She was yeah, in that. She's in that. She's in the. She was also in Once Been Twice Shy Boy, Great White. She was in. Yeah, two- yeah, I, I knew that. Yeah, she's the main. Her- she looks hot as fuck in that hurricane video. That little yeah. red dress. Yeah, that's Bobby Brown. First class whore. That one. Hell yeah! All right, ex Megadeth guitarist Chris Poland uh, says he feels Dave Ellison handled the sex scandal uh, video. Uh, really well. I mean, how and, else is uh, going to handle it? I mean, come on. What else can you do? Right. And I would, I would love to talk to Dave Ellison. I, I would like to see if we can get him on the show because he was very nice when we interviewed him at Rock and Pod. Uh, if you're going to interview Ellison, the only way I'll agree to interview him with you is he's got to get mm-hmm. on camera. <laughs> Dude, I'm going to jack off. Yeah, we're all going to have a three-way jerk. And who hasn't jerked off with a teenager on the internet? I mean, really, if you're cool. I never have. Who hasn't? I never have. Well, not on the internet. Yeah, I I know, but some of the girls you jerked off with on the internet are teenagers now. You know, so. (laughs) Oh, man, that was funny. <laughs> it's funny because it's true. <laughs> Who do you think's doing the show with you, Lee Gertzman? It's Ralph. Here. Uh, here's something to look forward to. Uh, Rush is putting out a 40th anniversary expanded edition of Moving Pictures in April. I just and, saw this and it blew my fucking mind. Oh, holy shit! Wow, what a package! Oh. oh, let me turn off my camera. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to show you my dick. <laughs> no, I said what a package. Yeah. <laughs> but you, you know, you know what, Ian? I, well, I didn't see exactly the details of the box set, but somebody tagged me on the live album that's on there. And I was like, holy shit. Because, you know, I have a bad memory, but when it comes to concerts, I remember everything. Right. And that's the first time I saw Rush. And I'm looking at well, this, how they opened with 2112. And then how they did Cygnus. I remember this vividly to this day. Was when they did, right before they did Cygnus, they did Working Man. 
But when they played Working Man, it was they started doing a reggae song, and I'm like, reggae version, yeah. yeah. What is this? And I hear him singing the lyrics, and I'll never forget my friend Angel Margo. Dude, that's Working Man. And, they, and I just saw all that, and I was like, I remember Hemisphere's book book two right after that. I remember Vital Signs was late in the set list, beneath, uh, behind, between, whatever. I was like, oh, bring this. Yes, I want this bag. Oh, oh my God. What a fucking box set. And it says that uh, one of the live shows for this was recorded at the Hollywood Sportatorium. No. And it, it's taken from Ralph Vieira's Mr. Microphone. So, you know, that, I, that was the infamous rioty. And I'm, I'm sure I told the story. I, oh, I, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I breathed. I breathed tear gas that day and I almost was trampled. Yeah. Guy saved my life. Then we finally got in. Opening band, Riot. <laughs> but I, I mean, this is an unbelievable package. Uh, Moving Pictures, while I love it, is not my favorite Rush album. I mean, I love it, but it's not my favorite. But I think this is one where I will drop some coin on this motherfucker. Because I mean, it's just what you get with this. You know, you is amazing. Hear something fucked up, Ian. Can you believe I do not own moving pictures on vinyl? I don't either. I don't either. But I have like power windows and crap like that. I even have. Oh, that that's what. Okay, okay, okay. You're bad now. Yeah, that, <laughs> the one with the red bubbles. I even have that one on vinyl. Oh, hold your fire! Holy yeah. shit! Well, I got them all for a buck on Lincoln Road. This guy was just selling. Vinyl. Oh my god! Oh my god! Like, I'll take a chance. God damn it! But you know, I just I'm so glad we saw the Rush show we saw the other day. Yeah, that was awesome. Oh my god! And you know, we, we we we've taken a lot of shit lately. We've had a very very popular episode uh, with our, our our pink fraud uh, momentary lapse of reason that that's just been the, the numbers on that show have been incredible you know and it, we take a lot of shit for you know being bullies and being assholes and stuff you know but I think back to that show we took a a, a young man who had just lost his father and and you and me refrain from drinking till after the show. And it was just, it was a very special night. It was really cool. And, you know, I'm like, I'm like, we've done some good shit like that. And I, I, I got this nasty letter about our Pink Floyd episode. And I, I, I didn't even share this with you. It was just so nasty. Uh, it, it came from Queen Tube. <laughs> And, you know, just like, you know, how dare you guys pick on, you know, you know, somebody with high functioning autism and stuff, you know, and you guys are a bunch of bullies. And it really, it, it really affected me because I don't want to be seen as a bully because I've overcome a lot of shit, you know, stuff that I don't always talk about on the show because it's hard to talk about you know and and I don't even tell you Ralph but 
I was born at a young age. And I, 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 I didn't even know how to walk or talk till I was one year old. Um, I shit myself and pissed myself till I was three. Um, I couldn't even start kindergarten till I was fucking five years old, man. <laughs> five years old. Everything you know is that I was that that I was in kindergarten. And uh, but you know what? I overcame it. Well, I overcame. I, I overcame it, and uh, and I got a job, and I and I and I paid taxes, and I made a woman come. You, you know, know, not my, yeah. not myself, but I paid another guy to do it. You know, you know, I, I did what I had to do. Oh yeah. So life hasn't been easy for me either you know oh quit your bitching i still shit my pants oh you do well you're gonna get you're gonna get to that age eventually oh okay never mind we all go back to the same shit ian we're gonna start peeing our pants and shitting our pants and you know begging for you know sucking on anybody's nipples all right, all right. Well, wait, wait, wait. Just on my thunder. I thought I thought I overcame adversity, but I guess I didn't. No, no you did overcome it for now. <laughs> uh, all right, next story. Um, Sting has sold his uh, songwriting catalog for an estimated three million dollars. Hmm. And uh, wow, there is a lot of people. Selling their 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 songwriting royalties. Yeah, but and, I, I, we talked about this before, and I said it. I go, dude, it's the smartest thing to do. Nobody buys physical media. Might as well sell it all. Fuck it. You're gonna make more selling your your catalog than you will off Spotify and physical, you know, copies now with people. People aren't. I don't. I don't see us ever going back to. You know, people being Neanderthals like us that collect and buy shit. You know. Yeah, I, I, I do think I, I do think we're a dying breed. You know, the thing, uh, even DVDs, people stream. Everything is like, you know, just to, uh, you know, have more space in your house. That's how people. Yeah. Work. No, and, and I, 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 I do that. I have so many. Uh, there's a streaming site called Voodoo. And I have almost 1,200 movies on Voodoo. And I gave away uh, DVDs, you know, that I have. Because, you know, on the streaming side, I have better quality than the actual DVD. Uh, so I give it away. And, yeah, this younger generation doesn't seem to care. So I think it's a smart move. Um uh, but it is weird seeing like all these people, all these artists that you just consider like, you know, gods, you know, or like, oh my God, songwriting geniuses selling away the rights to other songs. And, it, you know, it kind of makes me think back to like when Michael Jackson bought the rights to the Beatles shit, you know, and Paul McCartney's like, what the fuck? You know, uh, 
it's it's kind of weird that songs that you know and love like now they're taken out of the hands of the creators and they can be in a commercial and they can be in all this it's kind of weird but at the same time i'm happy to see these people get paid for their life's work yeah uh, pay now right right but it just i don't know it, it makes me feel bad because you know a, a younger generation just does not care about this shit you know get off my I, yeah i know but it's it's weird that, like i grew up loving the music that came before me embraced it very much i mean you know the album we're about ready to review came out i believe let me look at the year 73 uh yeah it came out a year before i was born i know my shit mean, when it comes to that then and it means everything to me uh but it doesn't to uh, you know this generation that's on TikTok and all this other shit. So I'm like, yeah, get paid. But it's like, what's going to happen to all this music? You know, is it a, is it all going to be in a fucking commercial? What's you know it going to what? be? We had a great run though. We we outran the past generations. Dude, in the '80s, I don't care. You know, your Tony Bennett's, your Frank Sinatra's, whatever. Yeah, they got that right respect, and yeah, people do love it, but not to the extent of how long people loved everything from black sabbath on because this is like what is it 50 years now this music is you know thrived you can't say that about you know the ragtime days and you know uh, everybody like all the past generations hit it the beatles are still huge you know so we had a great run we had a really good run i think we outran all the past generations and good luck your fucking Pro Tools generation today. See how last your, how long your fucking music lasts. You know. Yeah, I, I did see an article that made me very sad, but but made me think. I, I thought it was a very well written article, where it said this newest generation is like the first generation that doesn't give a shit about the Beatles, <coughs> and. You know, it's not like, you know, there was never a time where there's people who weren't Beatles fans. But you know what I mean? It's like the Beatles were a phenomenon. You know, they were part of the lexicon, if you will, of our, you know, uh, pop culture. It's so I think the Beatles are always going to have that little niche. Maybe not as popular as it was before, but let me equate it with like Picasso. And, you know, the guy, uh, Da Vinci and all these people from hundreds of years ago that people still praise, you know, that, you know, you still know, you know, you probably won't know some dunk, you know, like the equivalent of the Beatles. Like, and yeah, I know a lot of people disagree with this, but Motley Crue, 50 years from now, nobody, they're going to be known as like, just oh, like yeah. Moby Grape is known today. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Exactly. But now, you know, I was driving in the work van the other day um, and the Beatles came on. It was like early Beatles, early Beatles, you know, but it was like, listen, do, da, do, do you want to know a secret? Do, da, do. You know, and I'm just like, God, what a perfect fucking song, you know, and it, it still holds up, you know, it's like closer, you know, I'm like, God damn, I'm so lucky 
to be alive in an era where you know that music was relevant and you know influential and just mm. and kids today get off my lawn yeah get off my <laughs> lawn it's gotten to the point where yeah i admit it i was a little sad about it a few years ago but now it's gotten to the point where yeah, i just put up the white flag it's like okay you win whatever i still got my music i'll enjoy it myself if the masses doesn't want to uh lick my asshole right no fuck nah, you're what can you do there ain't nothing you can do but enjoy the music you're absolutely right well here's something our last news story uh i'm gonna end on a positive note which we rarely do around here uh tesla right what are you gonna tell them about my hiv now no all right, good. I, Tes- I, don't want, I don't want that aired. Tesla's Brian Reed, a wheat, uh, reconnected with Tommy Skio for the first time in more than 15 years, uh, thanks to Eddie Trunk. Oh my God. Uh, this is part of the Monsters of Rock, uh, you know, excursion, love boat, whatever the fuck you call it. But Brian Wheat was there because of his art. Not because Tesla's there, and Tommy Skio was there with his new band, and I feel horrible. I can't remember the name of the band, even though we saw them at Rock and Pop. They, they were, were really good. oh man, were they good? But I thought it was really cool that they kind of buried the hatchet, and they both admitted, like, man, we talked a lot of shit about each other in the press and over the years, but then they went back to the fact, like, we've known each other since we were fifteen. You know, we were there when, you know, when Tesla started, we did all this shit together. And sometimes, you know, you say something, it gets blown up in the press. But they both said, like, we love each other. You know, we've had some ups and downs, but we have a history that nobody can can erase and stuff. And I just thought it was really, really fucking cool because Tommy was always my favorite member of Tesla. And I, I love Tesla, huge fan. Uh, and what I liked about Tommy is he was just so rock and roll. He seemed like, you know, like the loose cannon of that band. And there's a little bit of danger with Tommy that's missing in Tesla, especially that last album they put out, the one that produced by Phil Collin from Death Leopard. Ooh. Yeah, wasn't a big fan of that one. But... Uh, I, I, I just thought it was cool, you know, you and me went through our TIFF and other people have had other shit in their lives and stuff. And I thought it was so cool that, you know, these guys who had known each other since they were fucking kids, you know, can, can bury the hatchet, you know, in their 50s and say, fuck all that bullshit, you know, I love you, brother. Look, look at what we created. Look what people will still pay stupid amounts of money to get on a boat and go here. <laughs> you know, uh, I just thought it was a cool, heartwarming story and a great way to end the news this week. What do you think? Yeah, it's great. It's a great story. I mean, but, you know, they're friends again because neither one of them said stupid racist shit. Because when you go that route, there's no coming back to be friends again. You know what I'm saying, Ian? I didn't walk till I was one. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, soon you crawl in your pants and you won't be able to walk. You'll need a walker. All right. But I still love everybody, except for Sammy Hagar fans. Kill yourself. Yeah. I don't agree with All that. Right. 
All right. Well, fuck it. That is the news. Now it's time to get into uh, our fan paid episode. And this comes from one of our classic listeners. Um, so important on the page. And that's, and I, I, brother, I know I'm fucking up your name and I, and I apologize, but you're from another country. Renee Allenheim Sorensen. Yep, that's it. That, yeah, that, that, that's what I'm going to say. I'm sticking to it. Uh, oh, my God. What a, what, you know, we'll get into it later in Fan of the Week, but what a classic supporter and listener to the show. And, uh, you know, I, I, I was looking through the fan paid episodes that were left. We were supposed to do another episode, and that got canceled because it was one with a guest. I was like, well, let me find one, you know, like short notes. Like, let me find one that, you know, we don't have to study. Something we know like the back of our hand. And God damn, did he pick a winner. We're talking about Black Sabbath's fifth studio album, Sabbath Bloody Sabbath. Holy shit. I, I can't even believe myself that, you know, we hadn't reviewed this already. But it's one of those things like, you know, a lot of these, you know, when Round and I first started this, Without that retard, uh, you know, there's certain bands, certain albums, like, well, you, you don't want to do that right now because once you've done it, it's done. You know, that, that's something I, I've never understood. These podcasts that are very specific to a band or, or an era, you know, it's like, what's your shelf life? You know, and I was always concerned, like, I want a show that can go on for years, that you can talk about all kinds of different shit. So. You know, I don't want to do all the fucking easy episodes right away, but he, lo and behold, he was right. We never talked about this classic album, but it was a perfect opportunity for us to do this. Holy shit. 1973's Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath. Ralph, what, what was your first, uh, when did this come into your wheelhouse? When's the first time you heard this landmark album? Uh, it had to be around 1980. Uh, yeah, it was, I, I believe, even have, either Heaven Hell's Out or, or Haven't Come Out, was about to come out, but yeah, I started really, um, you know, I didn't have a lot of money back then, but I would cut lawns, and I do remember, just by the strength of the album cover alone, never heard a note of it when I bought it, you know, except for uh, the, the title track, which was on We Sold Our Souls, which was the first one I bought. And yeah, dude, I mean, fuck. I mean, on first, yeah, I already at the time, Sabbath was my favorite band, which is still my favorite band today. But at the time, they were my favorite band. And when I put this album on it, just, yeah, reassure me. Yep, this is why this is my favorite band. This album is, again, you know, a lot of, Sabbath is unfairly, you know, like, depicted as you know a doom band a metal band this and that they were much more than that and it's all over this album this album they took a lot of, more chances than they did on volume four and they did chances on volume four the first three yeah i can understand but um volume four they took a lot of chance they even went a step forward this was the perfect evolution to my favorite sabbath album but it's just it's just phenomenal and the twisted turns it does it's um 
it's an experience to listen to this. This is sometimes my favorite. It fluctuates between Volume 4, Saturday Sabbath, and, and uh, Sabotage. Sometimes even the first one, but um, what can I say? This album's fucking uh, historic. And what, how the fuck did they get away with that album cover in 1972? That's some wild stuff. Yeah, no shit. Uh, yeah, what an incredible album. I think, you know, it, it's funny looking back and, you know, when we've said a million times on here and you coined it well, timeline is everything. I think my first exposure to this album was Anthrax doing Sabbath Bloody Sabbath on the I'm the Man. Was probably the first time I heard anything off of this. I had known, you know, of course I got into Ozzy first, you know, and then later I got into Sabbath and pretty much made me abandon solo Ozzy because I was like, oh my God, this Sabbath shit is so much better. But I probably didn't buy this or hear it in its entirety i would say 87 or 88 but holy fuck what an album and for a long time i think this was considered like the benchmark you know like everybody like oh man that's the sabbath album nowadays you, you got so many monday morning quarterbacks who say oh it's it's volume four, it's sabotage. You know, the people who've never heard Black Sabbath say paranoid. Uh, you know, all that shit. But what a fucking, you know, this to me is their Sergeant Pepper, their physical graffiti. It's their most experimental. It's, it's them like just reaching out. And I wish more people knew this, and it, which sounds ridiculous to say like who doesn't know Sabbath Bloody Sabbath but I'm saying to the layman because there's so many songs here that should be played on classic rock radio that should be held in the same esteem as you know Led Zeppelin and and you know you know to me this is almost like their Beatles album you know this is their Sgt. Pepper this or Led Zeppelin this is their physical graffiti there is so much shit going on stuff that they've never touched on before or after you know or sometimes they've, they've tried some stuff after but didn't do it as successfully as they did on this album but i listened to it like two and a half times and i'm just like holy fuck is this shit good and particularly uh i mean there's so many standouts it's it's hard to pick like who is the hero of this album? Because as I'm listening to it, it's like, oh my God, does Ozzy sound good? Oh, Tony is on fire. You know, the, the guitar playing, the overdubs, like Jimmy Page who? Listen to all the fucking guitar overdubs on this fucking album. Drums, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I'll take fucking Bill Ward every day, any day over fucking John Bonham. And then Geezer, what he wrote, the bass playing. Holy shit. I mean, it, it, it's a fucking masterpiece. Still not my favorite Sabbath, but that's how much I love Black Sabbath. This is not my favorite Sabbath album. And it's a perfect fucking album. Uh, oh, this is just 
it, it's it's music. It, it's what music's all about. It's what metal's all about. Uh, I, I, I just wish this band was held in higher esteem. And I, I know that's like crazy because, oh, everybody loves Black Sabbath, you know, Black Sabbath and Ben Metal. But they're not looked upon the same way Led Zeppelin is, which I think is unfair. Because I think they were just as good and in some ways a lot better. Um, just fucking amazing. And I'll, I'll never forget when I bought the Led Zeppelin box set. Uh, that came out in 1990, the first one. There was a, there was a two volume box set, and John Paul Jones made a comment about after Led Zeppelin three, nobody compared us to Black Sabbath anymore. And I always found that as like, oh fuck you, fuck you, fuck your fucking neck beard, fuck your IPA, you know your pretentious fucking bullshit. Sabbath is just as good and just as important as fucking Led Zeppelin. But Black Sabbath was the black sheep. Uh, you know, but god damn, listen to this album and put on some fucking headphones and listen to this shit. And come back and tell me that this band just wasn't firing on all fucking cylinders and on point. And, uh, you know, and, and another thing I was so thankful that, you know, and I was thinking about you too, Ralph, that we grew up in an era where Ozzy was respected and loved and dangerous, you know. Nowadays, Ozzy's looked at as this buffoon and he's pussy whooped and, you know, he's the he's the guy from the Osbournes, like, but listen to this album, it's like, what a unique voice. You know, how good did Ozzy sound on this shit? You know, fucking amazing. But, you know, Ozzy means something different to us than he does to the people who are younger, that, that grew up with the Osbournes. You know, he was the wild man. He was the badass. You know, and you guys know him as this bumbling idiot who puts out horrible solo albums with fucking and what, Post Malone. What, and what Ozzy was back then was not an act. Mm. The guy is genuinely insane. You know, uh, Ian, I don't know if you know this story. I, I, I just found this out the other day. I never knew about this about Ozzy. Remember the time that he went up to the CBS and, and bit the head off pigeons? Right. Well, you know, after that, he had a pigeon still left in his coat, and he didn't even know it. And and this was the day Rudy Sarzo joined Ozzy, the first time he he met Ozzy. And he met Ozzy, and all of a sudden Ozzy's like, "What the fuck's this in his coat?" And he took out a pigeon and bit the head off right in front of Rudy. That's how he met Ozzy. <laughs> True story. Bill Ward, when he met Ozzy Osbourne, Ozzy was walking his shoe. Yes. He had a dog leash with a shoe at the end of it and walking around with it like if it was a dog. Ozzy got arrested for breaking into a, a shop with fingerless gloves. <laughs> <laughs> Leaving his prints everywhere. That's Ozzy Osbourne. That's the Ozzy I know and love. The fuck. Oh, yeah. But I, I mean, I, I mean, 
you, you gotta you gotta agree with what I say though. I mean, there was a time like so many people know a different Ozzy than what we know. Yeah, we all love Ozzy. Like the people of our generation, we still love him. Yeah, and, and you know we forgive him, but we know what this motherfucker was capable of. Yep. You know, and when he was a he was the man. I mean, there was nobody crazier than fucking Ozzy. You know. Like he made David Lee Roth seem tame. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, back. You know, I love Alice, but that was an act. Ozzy was not an act. Mm-mm. The guy was insane. He was, he was just not. He was off kilter. He was like a Keith Moon type. You know. He, oh yeah. Generally, a, a bizarre, crazy person. You know, and but, yeah, you know now, but, you know, and also a lot of people. What a lot of people don't know is that during the taping of the Osbournes is when they were giving them so much fucked up medication the doctors that anybody would mumble like that yeah and and he played it up too i mean there's no denying of course yeah sharon did well you got to do this Aussie. right you know they played it up for the cameras but you know it's sad like i I feel bad for somebody who listens like ordinary man yeah and like (laughs) yeah well or, or or that's their opinion of ozzy yeah you know and what he's capable of but you know it goes 10 times deeper than that you listen to this album listen to what fucking tony iomi did you know listen to all all the intricate guitar playing and overdubs you know how is how is it different than what fucking jimmy page did you know and you listen to the drums on this shit oh my god you know the the member i think gets Totally, the most disrespect is Bill Ward, and is still my my favorite drummer of all time. And and I mean, when I say that, I'm I'm up there with like Stuart Copeland and and Neil Peart and, and people like that. But still, to my ears, you know, Bill Ward is untouchable. He is so fucking perfect and and so fucking jazzy and and then I mean geezer. You know, to me, Geezer is, is is like the John Paul Jones. You know, not only did he hold everything down, but I mean, you know, you know, lyrics and all this shit. I mean, this was a band with four fucking aces. Just fucking amazing. But now, you know, but they've always had this like, oh, they're less than. Oh, you know, Ozzy's a buffoon and all this shit. But man, they were a force. They were top tier fucking music and i'm not even talking just metal you know just listen to a lot of this shit on there and again i'll put it up with the best of led zeppelin they they well you know me man they are the greatest band in my world but what you say makes a lot of sense because when you put on the radio you'll hear a track off every zeppelin album sabbath you'll only hear songs from paranoid Right. Very rare you'll hear like maybe an NIB here and there or Sweetly. Very, very rare. It's always War Pigs, Iron Man, and Paranormal. Always those three tracks. Yeah. And, 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 and think about it, Ian. How, how awesome are the songs on all the other Sabbath albums that match those three songs? And some even propel over. Oh, yeah. Well, like, like even Ozzy, you know, Ozzy said for years, 
that this album was the beginning of the end for Black Sabbath. He's he's like, oh yeah, that was, it was all over by then. And I'm like, you know, I even want to grab Ozzy and shake the shit. Like, have you ever heard Sabotage? You know? What the fuck, dude? I mean, this band had so much to offer and so much diverse shit. For a band like, yeah, there's a lot of like dark riffs and stuff like that, but there's so much other light and shade that Led Zeppelin had that other bands had in the 70s, but Black Sabbath was always, you know, you know, the the whipping post. You know, yeah. and it's just, it's so unjustified. And everything that you hear in metal, I don't care who the fuck you are, Judas Priest, the Scorpions, you know, whatever, everything that's come after steals from Black Sabbath. You know? And, and you know, you think, you know, you thinking today while you're listening to this album, think of this while you're listening to Black Sabbath, Sabbath, Black Sabbath. This is a band that went into the studio in LA with fucking, with, you know, writer's block. They couldn't, they couldn't come up with jack shit. Then they moved to some haunted castle and uh, knocked it out. But this is a band that when it all started, they're like, fuck, what are we going to do? I don't have nothing. And you know, it's Tony Iommi saying this, the main songwriter, shit, I ain't got shit. And look what they came up with, you know? And another thing about this album was in 1973, there was, believe it or not, a vinyl shortage. They couldn't make a lot of vinyl back then. So this was pushed back. This would have came out, I think it came out in December, am I right? Or late 73? But it was done way before that, but they couldn't press it because of some kind of vinyl shortage. That yeah, was- yeah, this, December 73. Yeah, and I think that shit was done by June or something, but they couldn't press it. And, you know, back in the day, dude, a band would finish an album, it'd be out like no later than two months later. Like a month, right. you know, and... Uh, just think of like this masterpiece was done like I don't know what I'm gonna do. And then they moved to some haunted castle and bam, they nail out this album. That's just fucking flawless. It's it is flawless. It is an all killer, no filler album for me. There's not a bad there's not a bad note on this whole fucking album. Absolutely love it. You wanna take the first track? Alright, I'll take it. The title track, Sabbath Bloody Sabbath. Holy shit. What a riff. I, I mean, this he is the riff master. Tony Iommi. Holy fuck. I mean, holy fuck. Like, how do you keep coming up with this shit? Song after song, album after album. Decade like, after I, decade. Yeah, I, I, I mean, just sounds and tones that influence a whole movement you know you know we've said it before everybody can say you know blue cheer zeppelin deep purple no band has personified what heavy metal is like black sabbath and tony iomi's guitar riffs i mean that is just it's it's the beginning and the end and 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 this one like wow especially coming after i can see you know how a lot of people look at the first three sabbath albums kind of like you know 
the first three Blue Oyster Cold albums, you know, they, they you know, or the first three Kiss albums, they, they they have a sound and identity. But you know, Sabbath took it to a whole nother level on Volume Four, and then they went even further with this one. I mean, production-wise, uh, lyric-wise, I mean, every wise that there is, they expanded upon with this one. It really is their Sergeant Pepper, you know, their physical graffiti. It's just, it's all over the map, but it's cohesive, it's cohesive, and it's just flawless, timeless fucking metal. But, you know, at the same time, this song is all over the map, you know, it, you know, tempo-wise, uh, you know, it's just next level fucking shit. And this turned out to be the last Black Sabbath album my dad ever bought. And I discovered Sabbath because of my dad. You know, I discovered Ozzy because of MTV. I discovered Black Sabbath because of my dad. And and his vinyl copy of volume four that I was just like, you know, just like, wow, open it up. And, you know, those original pressings, there was the, you know, the, the full page pictures and everything and I was wow um and I'm listening to this album today you know listen to it like two and a half ways through with headphones on and just couldn't believe you know the musicality of it is just incredible and Sabbath bloody Sabbath and it's one of the, like, why do I not hear this on the radio? Like I hear Paranoid or Iron Man or War Pigs, you know, because it's such, it's next level fucking shit. And, and, and even with this album, I, I think people know this song more than any other song on the album. And that makes me happy and sad at the same time. Like, yes, you should all appreciate this, but why do you not know more? It's just, it's a flawless track. What do you think, Rob? Well, Ian, I got to say something, and I'm going to say it to spare you from kicking yourself because you are not done with the review of the song. Okay. Let us know your opinion on Ozzy's voice on this team. Ooh. So good. Peak. Oh, yeah. A fucking peak. You know, look. Dio's a technically better singer than Ozzy. And I'm not a fan of Dio doing those Ozzy songs. You know, NIB's kind of passable. I love how he does Black Sabbath, but I don't like Children of the Grave or War Pigs or none of that. Let's see Dio sing this. And look, and even as you mentioned earlier, Anthrax. Joey Belladonna, awesome singer, hits the notes that Ozzy hits. He's crazy. Where did you run to? All that. But does he do it? with his throat tearing apart because Ozzy's not technical that shit is real organic no fucking you know fucking honey down the throat and warming up that's an insane person just screaming his fucking life out of his lungs just the whole song you know it's just him going that's the reason this song has never ever been performed live by the original four and really Ozzy never performed it live either because on Speak of the Devil, that was recorded during the sound check. That wasn't performed right. live. Um, yeah. And well, and even those vocals were done in the studio. They exactly. Were. And, yeah. and 
and he didn't do the crazy part. You know, right. it, it just ended at a certain part before the. Where did you run to? All that crazy shit. Never done live. But the band on this, you know, the way it just grinds. But then it goes into this. What I was saying that. That fucking riff there has to be my favorite Tony Omi riff ever. When he, the breakdown section, you know, it's like just so. And the, and the rattling, that little rattle sound they put in there, you know, you know, and oh God, that's why this band means more to me than any band on the planet. This band it rules my existence. I make Kiss Tards look like fucking Kiss haters with how much I love Black Sabbath. This band, this album, the, the components, the, that deep bass playing that Geezer does during that killer riff and just the, the whole you know the whole bed with you know the rhythm section no better rhythm section in the history of music than geezer butler and bill ward locked together Woo! well this whole album's that way but i'm just saying when they what they do here man it's a little tiny a speck more special than anything they've ever done not a lot because i can name a million songs like under the sun and megalomania that can you know match the greatness of this almost you know this one just goes it's like a grain on the sand more insanity of how technically proficient this band was and how amazing they were but the here's the thing and i love the dio era you know it's perfection this it's dangerous you know yeah. with, with dio you feel like you know your seatbelt's off and this one, not only is your seatbelt not on, but the driver just jumped out of the car. That's the feeling I get from early Black Sabbath. It's organic, it's dangerous, it's crazy, and it's encompassed totally in this song. Boy, I explained that well. <laughs> yeah. Like a well, true saboteur. You know, and, and I was thinking about this today, you know, he, as I was crossing the street to go to the store to get some breakfast, you know, and I'm listening to this album. I was just like, man, you know, sometimes I don't realize how much Sabbath changed with other lineups, you know, because I love the Dio era so much, because I love the Ian Gillen era so much, you know, and and it was still heavy. It, it, it's a whole nother band. It's not Black Sabbath. This is black sabbath it sounds real it sounds genuine it doesn't sound like you know it just sounds like souls pouring out onto music oh yeah that's what oh it yeah like to me, you know? and, and, and what it made me realize especially like especially listen to bill ward and i might i might take some shit for this and like i could give a flying fuck. but you know who i think is the second best drummer ever in black sabbath um, I know you're not gonna say Cozy Powell. Um, who? Uh, Vinny? No, Clip Boy. Tommy Clitoris. Yeah, Tommy oh, Clitoris. But he that guy. He he never did a studio album with him. But if you listen to the live shit, to me, he is the only guy that ever captured the jazzy, loose feel of Bill Ward. You listen to Vinny Apice 
Vinny Abbasi is a metal drummer. Works perfect for fucking Dio. Works perfect. Like, you know, dependable on the numbers, hard hitting, you know, but nobody had that jazzy feel to the clip boy, to Clitoris. I mean, you know, fuck Bev Bevan. And I'm sorry, but fuck Cozy Powell. Well, Beth uh, never played on anything. Right. Well, I mean, he did, he did a live album, but, you know, fuck Eric Singer. Well, he didn't do you a know. live album. Yeah, but, you know, you know what I mean? None of them had that feel. To me, Clitoris is the only one who was close to, to Bill Ward in that loose, jazzy. I mean, listen to the fills on this album, drum-wise. Well, some bullshit idiot with a big beard that likes to lay down told me the guy from Rage Against the Machine was better. Yeah, yeah, fuck him, fuck him. I, I, I oh my god, that, that, that's like saying Eric Singer's got more soul, soul than Peter Chris, and I think Peter Chris is a shitty drummer, but he's got more soul than than Eric Singer. You know what I mean? But you know, like to get back on the Bill Ward thing, um, to show how diverse this fucking band is. Notice when you have these three members, Ozzy, I mean not Ozzy, uh, Tony Geezer and Bill. When you get them all together and you throw in two different singers, they both become different bands. Like Heaven and Hell is perfection, but Born Born Again, even though it's not like 70 Sabbath, it's still dangerous and crazy. There's something yeah. off kilter about the Born Again album. And that's the three, you know, it's just a different singer, but it's three different bands with, you know, different sounding bands. And it's not because of the singer. It's the, the bed of the music from 70 Sabbath on Heaven and Hell and Born Again. They all three sound like completely different bands. The 70 Sabbath was like an insane lineup. The the 80 Sabbath was a very proper, perfect lineup. And the Born Again sounds like a serial killer that that or, or an insane asylum guy that's in, that's in a padded room. You know, it's even crazier than Sabbath stuff, if you ask me, the 70 Sabbath. Better, no, but crazier, I think it is, like, Listen to disturbing the priest and trash and shit like that and zero the hero. It's just an insane asylum patient. It's that's how special these three guys were. And I'm talking about these three guys. Cause you cannot get this craziness with any other you you take any of these three guys out of the component and put it in there. It's not going to be as special. I'm sorry. I know people will say, oh, the humanizer, oh, mob rules is better. Dude, mob rules to me is following the footprint of heaven and hell. Uh, you know, oh, yeah. it's it's heaven and hell part two. You know, it doesn't sound, yeah. with Vinny piece, it doesn't sound different than Bill Ward on heaven and hell. It doesn't sound different. But you bring Bill Ward back on fucking Born Again, sounds different than anything on Mob Rules and anything after Born Again. It's just something about those three people together makes this magic. But anyway, I'll get into the next one. Uh, National Acrobat. Oh, man. No. Oh, man. And you know, Geezer, a rare one, Geezer came up with the riff to this song. Wasn't Tony. How about you gotta believe it. God damn. And it's a song about sperm, which is a great subject matter that nobody's ever tackled. 
It's a song about the sperm that does get into the egg. Well, all the others, so that's the national anthem. This song is so fucking awesome. The way it starts with that, ooh, it's kind of like menacing. You know, it's like, you know you're about to get beat down with it, Dan. It, it sounds like a, a fucking big ass motherfucker, a biker, you know, and you're fucking on the floor already beaten up by Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath title track. And this guy's just creeping up to you. And when it gets to the that's the part where his foot goes up your ass. This song fucking rules. National Acrobat, masterpiece, second favorite. My fa my favorite track on this album, I, I, I can't deny it, man. It's the title track. But this one's my second favorite. Love National Acrobat. What do you think? Oh, I, I love it. And, and that beat and that groove, holy shit. Uh, I don't care who, you know, gets credit for it. You don't get it without all four of these motherfuckers. And, I mean, it just shoots a load so fucking hard. Only Terrence's mom could swallow this shit. Damn. And she'd still probably ask for another fucking three bucks. Uh, wow. You know, this needs to be played on classic rock radio. It's a masterpiece. It's it's the longest track on the album. Uh, it and there's there's so many aspects to the song that that rises above what you know you would say paranoid is, you know, or like okay, that's this band. No, this this is a band showing you multifacets on guitars, on vocals. You know, on drumming. Holy shit. And the breakdown on this. The breakdown on this between... It, and I'm even going to cut Geezer out of this mix. But the breakdown with fucking Tony and fucking Bill. Oh, my God. It, it It's masterpiece. You know, metal doesn't get better than this. It gets copied, but it's, it's not better. It's fucking a national acrobat. You know Fantastic. what I thought about, Ian? Wow, this is crazy. I didn't notice this until right this second. Today is the 42nd anniversary of the first Black Sabbath album. February 13th. I didn't notice that till right now. Yeah, I was going to say that. Oh, sorry. Uh, I'm kidding. I have no fucking idea. I'm drunk. It was really uh, Friday the 13th, 1970. I'll take the next track, Fluff. Holy shit. Probably probably my favorite Tony Iommi so, instrumental solo ever. I go back and forth between this and Laguna Sunrise. I love them both. But Fluff, holy shit. Uh, gorgeous. Beautiful. Uh, tactical yet simplistic. It's, I mean, it covers the gamut. Uh, it, it's got its name from a DJ who used to play um, Black Sabbath on the radio in Europe. I think his name was, you know, Fluff was his nickname, but Freeman was his last name. And did this as a little tribute. Uh, gorgeous, gorgeous piece of music. And again, shows, 
the light and the shade of Black Sabbath and what they could do. And, you know, it's not some just devil worship band. I mean, these were great fucking musicians, great songwriters. Fluff is just flawless to me. What do you think, Ralph? Oh, yeah. Absolutely love it. And great. It's a great way, you know, not only do you catch your breath, but you catch your breath to some incredible music. Just the layers of what's going on beyond, be, uh, behind Iomi. You know, I'll never forget walking out of the Mob Rules concert with this playing really loud on the PA. They like cranked this super loud while we're walking out. I always think of that moment, you know, walking out of the Mob Rules. But yeah, it's beautiful. It's a fucking gorgeous. I love Iomi's little, little tidbit things, you know. I'd, I'd have to put Laguna Sunrise a little above it, not much, but because that's my favorite one. But this one is just, just amazing. It's just, it's perfect. It's perfect for the placement on the album, and I like how it's not too short because that's predictable. No, it's pretty long little acoustic thing that, you know, it's not really showing off his technical ability. It's showing off his musical ability what he thinks works and what how how it just the notes intertwine with what's going on this is just beautiful absolutely love fluff not a lot not a lot of people do i've seen people complain about it but then i tell them who what's their what's their names well i don't know man i've seen online you know people okay people that say anything discouraging about 70 sabbath i'm not going to remember them yeah no i just want to shame them fuck them um, all right, I'll take the next one. Sabra Cadaver. I don't have the track listing or nothing in front of me. I so what is it? Sabra Cadaver, Killing Yourself to Live. Who Are You? Living for Today and Spiral Architect is what's left, right? Yep. Yep, I have this shit memorized. Um, yeah, dude, this is a unique one with Rick Wakeman. Rick Wakeman on, on keyboards. Um, this is a song that if you listen to it, it's brutal, it's fast, it's crazy, but... It's the first love song. If you listen to the lyrics, it's a total love song, but to this crazy fucking music. And yeah, like I was talking about how Fluff reminded me of walking out of the Mob Rules tour. Yeah, you know what reminds me of this song? That hot ass chick I dated, the Guns N' Roses girl, used to strip tease in front of me to this song. And she was hot, she was hot. So every time I hear this song, I think of her and yeah, Again, you know, it, it starts sporadic with the and the bass and all the crazy, and then it goes into the whole keyboard thing. Lovely lady. Again, Ozzy's voice is insane. Uh, and I love how it ends with a little, you know, it's kind of like a problem thing with Bill Ward, a little bumbling, you know, it's on purpose, but kind of just to bring an end to this amazing song and side one of this amazing fucking album. Sabracadabra, masterpiece. What do you think? Oh, yeah. I, I fucking love it. Um, and I like that it's a little bit, uh, you know, you know, different for Sabbath. There, there, there's parts of the song that are a little bit rock and roll you know, like, uh, I don't know, kind of simplistic for Sabbath more like a straightforward rock song but then it does go through the changes you know with the lovely lady part and everything um and i love it uh and i love that it's their attempt to show influences 
and they would try it on future songs. I think you would hear like a little bit of, in, you know, a little bit of this in Backstreet Kids, uh, a little bit in Rock and Roll Doctor, uh, but this is far more successful than those two. Uh, just incredible track that Metallica did a horrible fucking cover of. Ugh. Uh, oh my god, it was so bad. And it kind of reminds me, like, the only time I like when Metallica does a cover is if I don't know the song. <laughs> but if I know the song, like, like I didn't know the original Bread Fan when that came out. Or The Prince, you know, and shit like that. You know, like, oh yeah, that kicks ass. But I'd already heard this when they did this cover, and I was like, no... No, you, you captured zero of the magic, zero of the appeal. Uh, but this is part of the charm of, of fucking Black Sabbath, that they can do this. That is so, to me, 180 of what they've done up until this point. I, I can't think of any song on the first four albums that sound like Sabbath Dad. But it works. It, there's a lot of straightforwardness to it. Just a lot of awesome rock and roll. But it's still Sabbath at the same time. Love it. Great way to end the first side of this album. But then we flip this motherfucker over and we go to Killing Yourself to Live. Holy fucking shit. What a fantastic, amazing song. This is one of the songs that did make... Uh, a live appearance and actually they played this at a couple shows before this album came out and a couple after but you know unfortunately you never heard this on the reunion tours or anything like that but what an amazing track uh cool subject matter uh you know this is like pre-suicide solution you know you you can interpret this song a million ways but what i get out of it you know is you know, be careful, you know. Uh, you know, what you love might kill you in the end. You know, don't be killing yourself to live. I fucking love it. It's a masterpiece. And what a way to open up side two. What do you think, Ralph? Oh, yeah, this is, uh, I discovered this one on Live at Last. Because I don't Live at Last before this album. And, uh, yeah, dude, I mean, Again, great, great opener to side two. Great live song to play live. And I love when Ozzy goes, smoke it, get high. high. <laughs> so fucking cool. And again, killer riffage. I mean, I can go on and on. I will sound like a broken record, but dude, just the, the, the that rhythm section and Ozzy's vocals and what Iomi's doing, it's just like really cohesive tight unit that's still out of control you know it's like it's like uh, you know being on a on a carnival ride and you see the screws coming out of the fucking or the bottom of the fucking seat you're on you know it's just that it's just a dangerous dangerous fucking uh sound to this band and especially on this album this album to me is sabbath at their at their fucking most dangerous uh because they're taking chances and uh and it's working on every fucking you know turn it's just working here and there and this is another one another great song probably my third nah, fourth favorite on here i'll take the next one who are you this is one that um is written by ozzy 
Uh, he did all the lyrics and even the music to it. It's all Ozzy. He had one of those, what was it called? Mog something. Um, that, a Moog, Moog synthesizer. Yeah, Moog. And, you know, Bill Ward went to Ozzy's house one day and, and Ozzy was playing him this. Look what I came up with. And, oh, you got to use that, you know. And uh, it's great. And so, you know, it's also it fits the concept of what Geezer's always talking about, about, you know. Geezer gets a lot of religious, but he also gives a lot of warnings, like, you know, like on Under the Sun, like, you know, I don't believe in those Jesus freaks and I don't believe in no, you know, satanic people. Fuck you all. And this one is kind of questioning, you know, are, are you really there, but without being blasphemous? It's like right on the edge, you know, of uh, blasphemy. But and, and also, I mean, this is definitely a headphone song. To hear that going left and right. And uh, it's just fucking awesome, dude. It's different. It's crazy. It's not very liked by many people. But I absolutely love Who Are You. I think it's an excellent addition to this album to give it another different shade you don't see before or after. Who Are You is amazing. What do you think? Uh, I dig it. It is my least favorite track on the album. And it is one that I would never listen to. Like if I'm just picking a Sabbath song to listen to, I would never go straight to this. This is an album track. Uh, I have to hear this when I'm listening to this album in its entirety, but that's it's how I prefer to listen to music as an album, as it's released, as I know it, uh, as part of a piece of art. But I think it is important to show what Ozzy did add to Black Sabbath, besides being the crazy guy, you know? Um, as much as I believe, you know, you talk about a solo shit, you know, to me, you don't even have it without, uh, oh, what's his name? What's the guy? What's his name? Who? The guy that wrote everything for Ozzy. These are Butler. Oh, Bob Daisley. Bob Daisley, yeah. Uh, but this shows you how he did contribute to to Black Sabbath. And, you know, for somebody like Ozzy, who's not a musician, but grabbed a musical instrument and found something to do with it. You know, he found, you know, a, med um, uh, a medley or melody uh, you know, did it on did it on the Moog and, and found something that he liked and added his own thing to it. Very important. And this is a headphones track, you know. Even people like myself who consider this their least favorite track. Listen to this. Smoke a fucking joint. And listen to this. It, it'll all make sense. It'll all work itself out. It's my least favorite, but that's like, it's like Ralph would say, you know, the least favorite blowjob I came to, you know, it's still, you know, there's still a result. There's still an awesome ending to it. I, I, I love it. I love it. It's my least favorite, but I love it. And then we go into the next song, which I don't think was ever played live. And I would say is contention in contention with. Who Are You is some people's least favorite song, and that's Looking For Today. But I love this fucking track. Um, 
not sure about the placement because it, it does it is kind of similar you know who are you is kind of slow and and prodding and there's part part of this that is part of it that isn't it's a little slow it's a little upbeat but i love it and to me it's part of what makes this album is awesome and as crazy as it is just because of how different it is i love looking for today what do you think ralph yeah it's it's kind of commercial sounding it's uh i think it's their most commercial sounding track yet it's got this very commercial thing to it but i love what bill ward's doing man he's just driving along the song and uh i think it was probably meant to be like a filler yeah i don't think this has ever been played live i'm almost positive on that but it's great it's it's another song like i said man every song on here is a winner and this one again what song sounds like this that's been played so far on this album? Nothing. Nothing sounds like Who Are You Shit. Nothing sounds like, you know, every song. Every song is so different than the other. And, uh, yeah, I love it. I love how it kind of, like, bleeds into from Who Are You. And uh, what can I say? Look, looking for today is fucking awesome, man. And I like the, the way that Ozzy paces his vocals on it. It's uh, infectious, it's beautiful, it's awesome. And that goes into the last track, which is a fucking masterpiece. Holy crap, man. Spiral Architect, are you fucking kidding me? What a way to end this album with such a fucking opus. You know, the crazy, the beautiful, angelic, acoustic playing from Mr. Iomi and then going into the, you know, the bombastic drumming, a bum bum that that Bill Ward does, and Geezer that the, the 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 structure that Geezer does on this album, on this song with the bass, it's just so fucking awesome, and it's eerie when Ozzy comes in and the way he sings it, and it's just a beautiful fucking song. I absolutely love it. What a great ending to a great album. Spiral Architect rules. What do you think, Ian? Oh, it's a fucking masterpiece. And, you know, a prime example out, you know, even I can change my opinion and sometimes the song changes how I normally feel about music because normally I hate when people add an orchestra and shit like that. I hate when Deep Purple did it, you know. I really fucking hated it when Metallica did it. But, you know, there's orchestra in this uh, a bit. It, it's smaller than what they originally planned. They wanted to have an even larger orchestra part of this song, but they couldn't fit them into the studio where they were recording this. But I, I, I think it works perfect. And it is an epic. It's a masterpiece to me. Like, why is not this held in the same esteem that Cashmere is? Because to me, it's just as good. And especially the outro. Holy fuck, the outro. The interplay between uh, what Bill Ward's doing and what Iomi's doing. I, I don't get it. I don't get how everybody holds fucking John Bonham in such high esteem. And don't get me wrong. I mean, I get why you hold John Bonham in high esteem. That I'm not arguing. But why is Bill Ward not in that same conversation? I mean, listen to the jazziness. And, and, and again, that's why I said no other drummer in Sabbath has come close 
but Clip Boy, Tommy Clitoris, listen to what fucking Vinny did. Listen to what Bev Bevan did. Listen to what Singer did. Listen to what Cozy Powell did. Listen to what Bobby Rendali did. Nobody. Nobody. Every, everybody else is a metal drummer. Or I'm trying to do metal drumming. But nobody else captures what Bill Ward did. You know, but if you listen to, even though I'm not I'm not a huge fan of 13, not a huge fan of them ending without Bill Ward, but listen to the live recordings and shit. Clitoris had that jazzy feel that that Bill had. And that is so important to this band. And so important to this album. The drumming. I, I you know. You know it's a good fucking album when Geezer Butler is the weakest link on this album. And that's not slamming him at all. I love Geezer. He's a genius. But to me, the standouts about this album is the guitar playing, all the overdubs, everything, all the production that Tony Iommi did, Ozzy's vocals, and Bill Ward's drumming. I think takes center stage on this. This is a rare, rare, rarity where Geezer Butler comes in last for his contributions. And still, I mean, look at all the lyrics he wrote. Look at all the amazing bass playing. But those other three shine so much on this album. What a way to end it. And that nobody, you know, other than Sabbath fans know this song. It's it's a crying shame. It's sad. But I love it. Uh, this album was released. Let me see here. December 1st, 1973. Produced by credit to Black Sabbath. But, you know, it's Tony Iommi. He did all this shit. And I believe it is. Yes, it's platinum. And this album did make it to number 11 on the Billboard Top uh Two hundred charts, which is pretty amazing when you think of nineteen seventy-three. All the music, you know, that was out at the time. You know, you got your fucking America and your fucking all the like, you know, soft rock and everything. That this still made it to number eleven, so that ought to mean a lot to you know, you Van Hagar fans, you know, chart placement. Uh, it, it's just a fucking masterpiece. It's. Fucking Sabbath, bloody Sabbath. Hell yeah. All right. Well, Ralph, do you have a pick of the week? Oh, no, I don't. All right. Well, I'll go into my pick of the week. And this has probably been a pick of the week before. And fuck it. It's a pick of the week again. Because I think it's criminally underrated. And that is the last Sabbath album with the original lineup. Never Say Die. Uh, I do not get the hate for this album. Especially, I, I think it's so much stronger than Technical Ecstasy, which I love Technical Ecstasy. And if you don't have that deluxe edition that they did for that, run out and get it. That might change your whole opinion on that album. But what I'm talking about is Never Say Die, and I'm so eagerly awaiting uh, a remastered edition of that. I think they went out on a high note. It's not as concise as the album we're just talking about. It's kind of all over the place, but to me, it still shows 
so much genius that was in the original lineup. Uh, I mean, the title track, Junior's Eyes, Air Dance, you know, Over to You, fucking Hard Road. I, I, I love it all. I love every track. I even love the track that Ralph hates on that, the instrumental track I fucking love. Uh, I think it's a fantastic album, and uh, there's a lot of hidden gems to be found on it. That is my pick of the week, Black Sabbath, Never Say Die. That album fucking rules. And I think you said it as well as me. It's the it's the Sabbath album I play the most. Not my favorite, but it's the one I play the most. And I recently did a video for Air Dance. It came out pretty cool. So I'll put that up soon. Um, all right, my pick of the week. Um, oh, man. Uh, I don't know if I should say his name or not. He's a guy that's on our, our Facebook page. His name rhyme, rhymes rhymes with Ron Feimert. Ah, <laughs> yeah. He sent, Dirt mitts. Yeah, he sent me last night the Triumph documentary. You know, the Tri- Triumph's got a documentary. Ooh, ooh, you yeah. saw it? Yeah, it's done by Banger Films and shit. Right, Sam Dunn. Wow, really, really well done. I mean, extremely well done. And it really does show, like, this band, you know that Triumph never had a manager? They did it all themselves. Ain't that crazy? Wow. Yeah, and, you know, they they were just, they owned their own studio. They did a lot of uh, shit, unlike other bands, you know, and... uh, and it, I mean, watching it, it was like, wow, seeing how they got fit. Because it was true, man. Like, people wouldn't know this today. But Triumph was selling just as many tickets as Ozzy, as Motley Crue were in the mid-80s. I saw Triumph many times and sold out, you know, sold out Sportatorium. Because they, Triumph had a show of shows. They really knew how to give a show. Better than what Kiss was doing in the 80s. That's a damn show. They had a lot of pyro. I remember... One thing I totally forgot about uh, Triumph was uh, the drum solo this guy did at one of the shows, I think it was Sport of King's Tour, where the whole drums were all lasers, and it was just insane. They showed a little clip of that, and my God, what an amazing, amazing band this was. And, you know, and it didn't, and, you know, it, 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 it fucking ceased to exist like no other other band. Every other band, you know, you had turmoil and drugs and this and that. Rick Emmett just felt like, dude, I want to do something different. I, you know, I, he had this musical shit to get out, which he was able to get out in early Triumph, but then they became a little too commercial. And it shows like all the fucked up shit. They sued RCA and lost. And, um, you know, because they wanted, RCA wanted outside riders on shit. And they had, you know, they had this, their, their thing, man. And, you know, and all, the whole, the whole documentary has little clips of, 203 more days till fan day you know it's like counting down and then at the very end i'm spoiling it for everybody so if you don't want me to spoil it turn it off i gotta i gotta bring this up uh they they had a fan to get together only the real diehards and they interviewed these diehard fans like one guy died of you know was uh dying of cancer and fucking you know triumph lyric that's another thing and i've said it many times on the show how fight the good fight really helped me in my youth, you know, I am on me, fight the good fight. They highlight that in this documentary about the lyrics. You know, you're the master of your own destiny. And this guy was dying of cancer. 
And he lived through those lyrics, man. He survived cancer. And uh, it was just amazing, you know? And um, it was just a really well done. So all these fans, these mega fans go to this place where they all they have is like all Triumph memorabilia and they take them into a room where Triumph did a video to thank them all. So they're watching this video to thank them. And then thank you all fans. Then the, the fucking screen falls and there they are. And they start ripping into when the walls fall down and all that shit. None of these people knew they were there. And the way they captured these fans, like, what the fuck? You know, it was, dude, Goosebumps Central. It was such a great climax to this. And yeah, you know, you had a lot of people, John Five was in it, saying, why is this band not as big as Zeppelin? And Sebastian Bach's in it, and a bunch of people, a bunch of uh, musicians are in it talking about Triumph and, uh, Really, really well done. Uh, one of the top-notch uh, banger films uh, I've seen them do of documentaries. I honestly, I can't think of any one better they did when it was to a band. Because honestly, the Rush one's awesome. But you know, Rush did that other one, um, Time Machine, or not Time Machine, but whatever it was called. I thought it was a yeah. better documentary than what um, this band. And I wasn't really too crazy about that Super Duper Alice Cooper. It was okay. This one, right. it's like, this one is like, dude, it's like, okay, these guys are perfecting the art of making documentaries. It was amazing. So that's my pick of the week. It's called, what is it called? Rock and Roll Machine. Triumph, Rock and Roll Machine. I think it's out. Because what he sent me uh, when I was watching it, the beginning of it looked like one of those, like kind of Hulu channel things where you have to press start, you know? Right. So it's streaming somewhere. Well, I will check that out because uh, I, I do like some Triumph. I mean, when people think about, you know, Canadian hard rock, you know, there's Rush, Honeymoon Suite, and uh, Triumph. Yeah. I love it. I, I, I do love some Triumph, though, so I will definitely check it out. And they do have a very unique story that I would like to learn more about. And I, I just love rock documentaries, period, so... I will definitely check that out. So, great pick of the week. Yeah, it's awesome. All right, well, now we got to go into fan of the week. And uh, the fan who picked this is one of our classic listeners. And that's, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Renee Allenham Sorensen. If I pronounce it wrong, I apologize, brother. He is from across the pond in the in the, the, the Swedish region or Norwegian or fuck, I'm probably fucking that up too. Anyway, he knows who he is. All the fans on the page know who he is. Uh, God, this guy's been here forever and, and so many classic posts, you know, does the album he's listening to that day and, and all this. I mean, you think of integral people to our Facebook page. He is definitely one of them, you know, who has always kept it going, always has something to add, always takes time out of his day to add to the craziness that is our, our Facebook page. And uh, man, did he pick a winner here? Hell, he even say, he's like, I, I went through all the episodes. He goes, and I can't believe you didn't talk about this. But yeah, this is one of those, you know, we saved and I'm glad we saved it for you. And we thank you for your for your contribution, you know, for you making it possible for us. And everybody who's donated made it possible for us to go to Rock and Pod 
and for Rock and Pod to even happen. You know, this shit, Rock and Pod is getting so much bigger every year, and none of it would happen without you guys and you guys believing in us and being patient. You know, I can't stress this enough. Being patient is, you know, how long it's taken us to to get all these done, and we still have more to go, and we're going to do them all. But we we honestly do. That's why we're the podcast kings. It's not because us. It's because of you guys, <laughs> you know, who made us the podcast kings. And right. Ren- Renee, we love you, brother, and thank you so much. You picked a classic album that we couldn't wait to review. And we love all we love Renee and we love all you guys. And just we're very lucky. We're very lucky to have you guys. And yeah. I'm dr- I'm drunk as shit and I'm happy. What a great fucking episode. Yeah. But if you enjoyed this, come back next week. <laughs> when we're gonna talk about uh minute work. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Fun's over. I can't get to sleep. <laughs> I think about the implications. <laughs> I'm diving into it. <laughs> yeah. Who can be knocking at my door? That's the kind of shit you know and love from the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast.